0: we supposed to get married?
1: I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life. Being
0: able to say what you need and do it in a respectful way, these are key skills. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships.
1: If you watch me on the Drew Barrymore Show, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Dates and Mates. Here on the show, I love to cover topics for all of my listeners, whether you're single, someone who wants to move into a long-term relationship, or someone who's already found the one and wants to stay on track. That's the dates and the mates part of the title. No matter what you're here for, I am here to help you. And all summer, I'm opening up the Dates and Mates vault to bring you incredible conversations from the early days of the podcast and other secret sessions that have been locked away for my VIP clients only. Today, in our Summer Encore series, I'll be revealing an interview with Dr. Jen Mann. You probably know her as the host and therapist of VH1's long-standing hit shows, Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen and Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. She's appeared as a guest on hundreds of other shows, including The Today Show, The Early Show, Dr. Oz, Wendy Williams, The Doctors, and more— And she's the author of The Relationship Fix, which spent five weeks on the bestseller list. She will share her techniques for improving your relationship through communication and conflict management. But, you know, we always have to kick it off first with a hot dish. Dr. Jen and I will be talking about this headline, What Do Your Boyfriend's Texts Really Mean? Then later in Dear Demona, I'll tackle this heartfelt question, is it over if she brings a friend to your first date? And what do you do if you're dating someone with an STD? All right, lovers, the vault is opening. Let's dish. These Dating Dish. Uh, an article in the Elite Daily on how to create healthier texting habits. A lot of people write to me about the the uh, frequency of texting. Yeah. And what does it mean if he wrote right back to me or if he didn't sure. write me for the whole day? And they talked to Michelle McSweeney of the podcast Subtext, and they said to not look at quick texting as necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of people get annoyed by it. But it actually can be a sign that your partner wants to stay connected to you and maybe is willing to take their focus off of other things just to focus on you. Isn't that actually what we want?
0: Yes. Look, there actually is a study I talk about in, in my book, The Relation Fix. It says that couples who stay connected throughout the day via text messaging tend to have higher relationship satisfaction that connection is actually really valuable for the relationship mm-hmm. where where i tend to see people getting anxious is the early stages of the relationship it tends to not be 1 year in 5 years in it tends to be that first kind of 6 months when you're establishing does this person like me are we dating are we exclusive what are our habits is he really interested is she really into me all that sort of stuff and that's when people tend to get really anxious. And I think that consistent communication is good, but it doesn't have to be responding in five minutes. And I think that we forget sometimes that people have jobs, people have careers, we have to (laughs) earn money to pay for that cell phone, (laughs) and we can't pay the bill if we're not working. And that we have to respect that the people we're dating are not available around the clock. And I think that we become such an instant gratification society that we have to work on our impulse control. We have to work on not getting (laughs) our needs met at every moment as quickly as we want. And that's actually okay. And that's that's growth. And being able to have the maturity to be like, okay, text him a couple hours have gone by. I'm not going to freak out.
1: Yeah. And also the article references trying something in the early phases called status grounding, Mm -hmm. where you let them know what your expectation is or where you're going to be. So you, so you say, I'm going to be in class tomorrow. I'm going to be in a work meeting. So the other person isn't waiting, looking for a message, because if they're continuing to message you and you're not responding that even their anxiety growing yeah, and yeah. And even if they should know you have other things to do, it does help to sort of communicate and, that. In and advance. I think,
0: look, I think it's considerate to do once you're in the stage of the relationship where you're having regular communication. That's totally appropriate. Hey, I'll be in class. I won't be able to, to text you. I'll be busy for, you know, two hours. I do think in the initial stages, we want to kind of rule out people who are so impulsive, so needy that if you don't respond immediately, they're freaking out because Mm -hmm. that says something about their level of maturity. And if you're someone who's struggling with that, then it's, it's a great opportunity for you to look at that in yourself and go, okay, I need to focus on other things.
1: Good point. And you also are, you're a therapist and you work with couples. And so we're talking about the beginning phases of the texting relationship, but I wanna move into our next headline is about people who are in long-term relationships already and the things that make people fall out of love. Texting too much is probably not one of those things, but this uh, article references the research from the Gottman Institute, which I know you also reference in your book. And in in it, they talk about the the four horsemen, and these are the four predictors of divorce within the first five years of marriage. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. If you're in the early phase of a marriage, the first five years, you have to give your partner some feedback, right? What is the line between feedback and criticism?
0: Look, for your listeners who don't know Gottman, One of the cool things about Gottman, who is really the top researcher when it comes to relationships, is that he can predict divorce with 97% accuracy. The way he came to these four horsemen is that he put couples in these, what he calls his love lab, where they're in apartments, they have monitors all over them. There are researchers behind two-way mirrors who are writing down every word that said blood pressure spikes, heart rate, everything like that. So what they found is that these four things, like you mentioned, they are the biggest predictors of of divorce. I I write about them at at length in the relationship fix because they're so important. When it comes to criticism, there's a difference between a criticism of you're a terrible partner or, you know, you're such a slob. When you do things like that, it's not productive. Mm. If you're able to say, hey, babe, I noticed that you... Keep leaving your underwear on the floor. Would you mind putting that away? <laughs> that that's, oh, that's just yeah. in my life. It's not a criticism. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a request. It's said respectfully. When you start making it about the person, not the behavior, we're we're right. in criticism category.
1: Okay, I I get the difference between that. What about defensiveness? Because let's say your partner is a little bit critical of you, and then you can become defensive. How is that? One of the four horsemen.
0: Well, the problem with defensiveness is it shuts down the communication. And to me, one of the key factors in being a great partner, and I practice this at home with Eric, we both work really hard on this, is being able to take in feedback from your partner. Mm -hmm. You pick this person because you love them, you care about them, you respect them. If they're telling you something that's important or that they've noticed about your behavior, then you want you actually, if you care to grow, if you care to be a good partner, you need to take it in. And it's fair to say, Hey, your delivery sucks. You know, <laughs> like, Hey, can you say that to me in a different way? It's really hard for me to take in what you're saying because it, it it feels really harsh. But when you get defensive and you don't hear what the other person says and you're just like, well, I did that. I left my underwear on the floor. Okay. Well, you left your bra on the counter You don't solve the problem. Nothing gets better because you're so busy defending what you're doing that nothing's going to change. And if nothing changes, your relationship doesn't get better. People don't get happier. People are not more connected. It's important to be able to, to take it in. And I always say, when in doubt, narrate. When in doubt, repeat back what the other person said in your own words. So what you're saying is when I leave my underwear on the floor, you feel really disrespected.
1: No, that is not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying. (laughs) But then you say, okay, well,
0: tell me if I got that wrong. Look, we're sitting here and I saw your whole energy shifted when I said that. Okay, I got that wrong. Let me know. (laughs) As if I were your partner, it's hard to kind of argue with that. Like if someone's coming back to you, I want to know.
1: Right. And I always say, like, take care of your side of the street. Like, just, just focus on what how you're experiencing it. Don't try and make them feel a certain thing or think a certain thing. It's just like, this is what's happening for me. Is this happening for you? What do you think? And beginning that communication. And also being
0: able to say like, wow, I didn't realize that that affected you that way. I didn't realize when I leave my underwear on the floor. For you, that feels like I'm disrespecting you. I thought I was just leaving my underwear on the floor. To me, it was just like, oh, I didn't have time to put it in the hamper. I had no idea that it had this meaning for you. Yes, and then you best be picking up that underwear. But the, the but also, time. but then you then you have insight about your partner. Right. Then you've learned something about them.
1: Absolutely. Well, we'll put the the link to this article in the show notes, and you can check it out on Romper and read what the other signs are. But I want to hear more about what Dr. Jen says and what secrets we can learn from her book, The Relationship Fix, and that'll be all coming up right after this. We're back with Dr. Jen Mann. She is the author of the book, The Relationship Fix. And you know, even if you're not on the brink of divorce, it's helpful to work on your relationship and your communication. And so that is just what you aim to do with The Relationship Fix. It's to to help people all along the way. And,
0: And look, to me, The Relationship Fix is for two people. One, it's for the person who's not in a relationship, who's going... The next relationship I have, I want to do it better. I want to have a more connected relationship. I want to have a healthier relationship. I want to make better choices. And it's for people who are in a relationship. And like you said, you don't have to be at the brink of divorce. There is no relationship that I have ever seen, no couple I've ever met, who doesn't have some area in their relationship where they go, yeah, I could up my game there. Yeah, I could do a little better there. Or, you know, wow, I never thought of that. That's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because... Most people who approach me, approach me because they see me on couples therapy or they see me on one of my shows and they say like, what can I do better? I want to have a healthier relationship. I want to have a better relationship. And a lot of the time it's, things are good, but I know they could be better.
1: So let's talk about conflict. Before the break, we were discussing how to handle like a, a little criticism, but sometimes people have bigger conflicts in their relationship and it makes them just want to run away. Yeah. But that could be an opportunity to work on the relationship and to strengthen it. How do you show people how to do
0: this in your practice and in your book? I'm a big believer that conflict is opportunity for growth. It's the opportunity for us to better understand a partner, for a partner to better understand us, for us to utilize better communication skills that sometimes we struggle with. You know, if you don't flex the muscle, you don't develop it. And also it is the opportunity for both of you to work through conflict in a healthy, effective way and come to a resolution which ultimately brings you closer. And Mm -hmm. one of the key things with that is fighting fairly. And that's why I have a, a whole chapter in my book about fighting fairly, is that typically when conflict escalates and gets out of control, it's because people aren't fighting fairly. They start name calling. They start, you always, you never, like all that kind of stuff. And Having effective communication and being able to say what you need, voice what you want, and do it in a respectful way that can be received by your partner and being able to adjust when it's not being received well, is, these are key skills to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. Relationships don't get better when we communicate in a way that our partner can't hear.
1: And there's a certain point where maybe you're just wrong. You're just flat
0: out wrong yeah. and you need to apologize. Is there a right way to apologize? Yeah, there absolutely is. And and in my book, I actually have a whole chapter about how to make amends and how to forgive. And to me, the, the key are the four Rs. You know, the first is that you want to have remorse. You want to show the person that you're, if you are, and hopefully you are, that you're genuinely sorry, that you really recognize how you have hurt this person and and to be able to make a heartfelt apology. The other is in order for your partner to be able to recover from this, you have to give them the respect and the room to process their feelings. Because mm. a lot of the time what happens is someone goes, I'm sorry. And then they go, okay, you should forgive me. We're done. But being <laughs> able to sit and hear, wow, that really hurt me and here's why. Mm. That's a key part of it. Also, being able to make those amends is really key. And part of making amends is actually taking steps to not do it again, having a plan. And people forget that. And all too often, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten calls on my radio show, well, my partner cheated on me. He said he's sorry. He cried. I forgave him. And now he's doing it again. I always say, okay, well, what was the plan to prevent this from happening again? What made you think that this would be different? What were the concrete actions he or she said that they were going to take? And typically the answer is nothing. Mm. What I look for is I'm going to therapy now or I'm getting some kind of counseling. I'm meeting with a religious leader to work through this. I am giving you my Facebook code so that I have total transparency and you will never have something like this again. Or, you know, if alcohol was about, I am going to get clean and sober. I'm going to a 12 step. I mean, taking those steps, concrete action is key. Let's talk a little bit more about
1: infidelity. I know you address this in the book because I, I do get a lot of questions on dates and mates sure. from people that have been cheated on. Yeah. And are working some of these steps that you mentioned and and some not to to try to repair the relationship. And I really wonder in your practice if you've seen people be able to rebuild after infidelity. Yeah. And what can people do to prevent infidelity? Because there's also this fear, like, what if my partner cheats on me?
0: No, absolutely. I have seen couples recover from horrible infidelities from uh, betrayals, from trust being harmed in in very intense and dramatic ways, which is, again, why I have a whole chapter in the book all about how to make amends and how to forgive and what couples need to do, because this is such a hot-button issue. And, you know, the other factor that I didn't get to mention before is taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. If the person who harmed you doesn't take responsibility You're not going to be able to forgive. You're not going to be able to trust. Remorse is key. Mm -hmm. Knowing that that person truly gets on a profound and deep level, I understand how much I have harmed you and I never want to do that again, is so important. It's all of those things that actually create an atmosphere where someone can recover. And recovery doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. It is a process because the only way you can learn to trust someone again is to see good behavior over time. And I emphasize over time. Right. Over time is not one week. We over want time everything. is not one month. <laughs> Instantly. And, we yeah, want <laughs> and, and having that ability to be able to process over time because if you have been betrayed like that. Things are going to trigger you. And you're, if your partner isn't available to say, okay, we went to a party. I noticed how you looked at that woman. It made me uncomfortable. It really triggered these old feelings. If your partner is going to be like, I thought we were over that already. No, you're not going to recover. It's not mm. going to get better. But if he, if he or she is able to go, you know what? I, I could totally understand why that was triggering for you. Let's talk about it. I want you to know how important you are to me, how much I love you. I never want to hurt you again. You're going to have a totally different reaction. That's going to move you towards healing, whereas the defensiveness and we're back to Gottman and the four horsemen is going to be a disaster Mm -hmm. and that's going to escalate it and that's going to trigger both people. And it's just it's going to go in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think
1: we've seen it go in the wrong direction so many times. Completely. And there are a lot of people because we see this so much in the media and social media and in our friend groups, we see the infidelity. We get that fear. Right. Like, what if that happens to me? So what would you say to those people that are afraid that that could happen? And even just that fear, that could be really damaging to the relationship. I think
0: living in fear hurts the relationship and it hurts you. Mm -hmm. And on some level, you have to surrender to the fact that if somebody wants to cheat on you, they're going to cheat on you. That you can't control that unless you lock them in a box (laughs) that you're watching all the time. And I don't recommend that. Again, that's illegal. Like the revenge porn, you can end up in prison, not good. Don't do it, don't do it, girl. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Maybe tempting, I get it, but don't do it. And really the key is, first of all, developing a connected relationship where there's enough trust and communication where you can say, I'm feeling kind of insecure about this, or I'm feeling concerned, or I'm getting a weird vibe. Like, can we talk about it? That's really important. But at the end of the day, if someone's going to cheat, they're going to cheat. And you also have to look at why are you with someone that you're that worried about is going to cheat? Is it something that they're doing? Have they betrayed you in some way? Do they have a pattern? Do they have a history? Is this valid? Or is this about your history? In which case, get yourself to therapy, work on these issues, like talk it through, do the work on yourself. What is it about you and your history? And sometimes it's your childhood. Chapter four of my book is all about childhood trauma Mm -hmm. and how that relates and affects you. And childhood trauma, a lot of the time people think, oh, it's being beaten. Oh yes, of course. Abuse, it's horrific, but trauma in childhood can be having a depressed parent. It can be having a parent who's really? checked out who is a workaholic. It can be having parents who go through a divorce. It can be mental illness and that there are a lot of different, more subtle things that are common in households that impact us and hurt our abilities to have relationships that we have to look at and examine and be able to go, wow, I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. But that actually is really affecting my relationship. And I owe it to myself and my partner to work on that.
1: And some of those things also can impact. Your attachment style, right? Like yes, that can make you anxious sure. if you yeah. you've seen that at a young age. How do you see attachment theory impacting relationships, and how do you coach people in understanding what their own attachment yes. style is, and then their partners, and and moving through it with it, that? knowledge? It, it's a
0: great question, and you know, for people who don't know very much about attachment, that the first three years of life are when we basically form our foundation for attachment. So as a baby, when we cry, if mommy or daddy are able to come to us and and meet our needs, our impression is the world is a safe place. Mm. If we have a parent who is unavailable, who's too depressed to respond to our cues, who's drinking, who's using, who's just checked out for whatever reason, our perception typically is the world's not a safe place. Or if we have a parent who brings us close but then is abusive or rejecting or critical or anything like that, it affects how we attach to people. So we tend to anticipate whatever it is that we grew up with. So if we have a parent that was hot and cold. We tend to anticipate our partner's going to be hot and cold. And that can be really scary. So a big part of the work when it comes to relationships and attachment is understanding what is my attachment style? Am I someone who's really anxious? Am I worried that I'm going to be abandoned all the time? Am I worried I'm going to be cheated on all the time? And then also, or do I have a more secure attachment style, which is great? Or do I have a mixed attachment style? But being able to look at that and understand, what am I bringing into this relationship? Part two, looking at how does that affect my choice? Because sometimes we create Mm -hmm. a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. We go, everybody abandons me. My dad abandoned me. My mom abandoned me. Whoever the early abandon was. They always abandon me. But then we pick people that reinforce that because unconsciously it's familiar. Mm -hmm. So we pick the person who's a workaholic. We pick the person who has a drug addiction. We pick the person who's a compulsive cheater. We pick the person who recreates the abandonment. And and here's the good and the bad news is our unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. It's always trying to heal old wounds in current time. Mm. So our unconscious mind looks for someone who will recreate that old trauma. Because what it does is, kids are egocentric. What that means is- I know, I have two of them. Yes. (laughs) But it's not about narcissism. It's actually healthy. Right. When if if a child is abandoned by a parent, if a parent is in a bad mood, a child will always go, I must have done something wrong. That's Mm. the first place a child goes. It's the way they're wired. If daddy has abandoned me, if mom has abandoned me, if someone is drinking, if someone has hit me, if someone has neglected me, I must not be lovable. That's the first place kids go because parents are the first mirrors that reflect back to them. Am I lovable? Am I worth? So what happens is kids internalize this sense of I'm not lovable. Uh Uh-oh. They take it to their relationship. Then what happens is in like, let's say in that example of someone who was abandoned their unconscious mind goes i'm not lovable but if i can find someone who might abandon me but i can show them how lovable i am and they don't abandon me it will prove mommy and daddy were wrong i'm really lovable oh no that's those
1: fixers i know you're listening to this but what
0: happens Those ones that want to fix
1: things fix people
0: and what happens is you pick that unavailable person and then you feel rejected and it triggers that old wound of you're banning me just like daddy.
1: Then it confirms the belief you already
0: have. But what happens is mm-hmm. you try to work really hard. I'm mm. going to be such a good partner. I'm going to be so sexy. I'm going to give the greatest. Uh, am I allowed? What am I allowed to say around here? Keep it PG. Okay. I'm, I, if, I, <laughs> I, if I give the greatest sexual act, <laughs> you're going to keep coming back me. to me and yeah. you're going to love me. And I'm going to actually feel worthy and I'm gonna actually feel lovable and I'm gonna heal this old wound and everything's gonna be good. And it's a totally unconscious process. But when you know and you're able to make the unconscious conscious, it helps us make better, healthier choices.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I know that's just the tip of the iceberg of what's in your book, The Relationship Fix. And we'll put the link in the show notes. But I'd like to answer some of the questions that have come in on Instagram and Facebook and, and email over the last couple of weeks. And that'll be all coming up right after this. All right, now it's time.
0: Dear Damona. Damona, help me.
1: Okay, Dr. Jen Mann. I have a question from Instagram. Uh, this, This guy asks, if a girl brings a friend to a first date, it's over, right?
0: To me, it's not about whether it's over or not. It's about her judgment. Mm. The question to me is, why would you want to be with someone who has such poor judgment? And look, I understand. Mm. I think it's important to be safe when it comes to a date. I get wanting to make sure that you're not with someone who's potentially dangerous. But if you're meeting someone in a public location, you're not getting in their car, and you're bringing a friend, to me, that shows it's inconsiderate. It is disrespectful. And it is bad judgment. So to me, whether she thinks it's over or not is irrelevant for you. It should be over.
1: There's also this element of the sort of situationship, the hangout date, where I actually wonder if she even knew it was a date. Maybe she didn't even think it was a date.
0: It, look, it's it's very possible, but it's not the first time I have heard of a woman bring a friend on a date. Yeah, that's true, you <laughs> you know? that's true. But look, I think you bring up a great point and it is important for him to make sure that he's being clear when he asks a woman on a date. I'm so excited to take you out on this date. You know, I will meet you there at this time. Like that he's very clear, this is a date.
1: Yeah, yeah, that clarity. We're talking about the communication yeah. crisis Exactly. Today. So that clarity on your intention, because we're all trying to be so cool. Like we don't totally. want to let him know that we're really interested that yeah. that uh, then we're we're playing it so cool we're not even getting the second date or the first date maybe it's <laughs> exactly just, just a yeah. hangout. Okay, this, uh, this is another one that comes from Instagram. A uh, little more serious. This yeah. person says, "I'm dating someone with an STD. How screwed am I?"
0: And I lo- <laughs> I love this question. I get this question a lot. Yeah, and I love it for a few reasons. You know, first of all, I always say everybody has a herpes. <laughs> and, and and here's what I mean by that. A uh, herpes. Yes, because herpes, I, herpes. I get calls on my radio show all the time where people say I have an STD. But it's not just an STD. I, I remember I got a call from a woman who had lost, it was like 150 pounds and had uh, a lot of surgery and scars oh, all over oh. her body. I had another woman who had breast cancer and had had reconstructive surgery. There are just a lot of issues That people have that when it comes time to be sexually intimate, that they're embarrassed about, that they're Mm -hmm. ashamed about, that they are afraid to talk about. And to me, an STD is it just falls under that category. It the STD itself, look, here's the truth. How great that this person told you they have an STD, that they were that honest. That's actually a really good sign about this person, because I've gotten all too many calls and had all too many clients where someone didn't tell them and they weren't honest. And that's how they got an STD or they found out later and then were living in a lot of anxiety and fear. Mm, yeah. So to me, first of all, I think it's a great sign that they told you. Secondly, look, one in four sexually active people has herpes, something like 80 to 90% of people have HPV. Like STDs are really common. Everyone has a herpes. Like, <laughs> and, and, and what I mean by everybody has a herpes is that everybody has something that they're embarrassed about yeah. to talk to their potential yeah. new sexual partner about. And so to me, it's not that big a deal to me that they're communicating that you can practice safe sex, that you can get tested. And, you know, I once had a, a couple in my practice where one of the people had herpes. They told the other person that person was really nervous. I said, you know what? I think you should both go to the doctor and get tested, like get fresh tests for each other. It turned out that she was a carrier. She had never had a herpes outbreak, but she was a carrier. So she had the virus. And she gave it to him. No, we we, hadn't (laughs) had had herpes, but but she may have given it to someone (laughs) in her past. So, uh, you know, to me, so many people have them. And look, nobody wants one. Like, that's not fun. It's not the sexiest thing ever. But. Knowing that about your partner, being able to practice safe sex, being able to address these issues, to me, the fact that your partner or potential partner has told you is a great sign, and also being able to have communication. So, hey, what do you do when you have an outbreak? Are you taking antiviral medication? Do you have a sense when one is coming because that's when you're most likely to pass it on? What kind of safe sex practices do we need to practice? All great communication all makes the relationship more solid.
1: Well, I have learned a lot from you, Dr. Jen. I hope everyone here listening will get a copy of The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. No matter what phase of the relationship they're in, this is a great resource. And you can find out more about Dr. Jen on her website at Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R, Jen, J-E-N-N. We'll put the link in the show notes as well as her socials at Dr. Jen Man And You're welcome to come back on the show and join us anytime. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dates and Mates. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to answer your questions in a future episode of Dates and Mates. You can tell me your dating and relationship troubles at Damona Hoffman on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or leave me a voicemail or text me at 424-246-6255. Until next week, I wish you happy dating.